question was, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then along with that, um, you probably have seen the signs in people's homes that say, For I know the plans I have for you. And flowing out of this, I think what Leonard's question is, is does that mean that God, the question is about free will. Do we have free will or not? Are we able to make decisions or does God force them on us or even make them for us? Because you could take those passages to mean that we don't have any free will, right? Um, and where we get into trouble, we also talk about the um, attributes of God, where God knows all things, which is the same thing he's saying here. So, God knowing all things, does that mean that we have no free will? And the answer is no. We do have free will even though God knows beforehand what we're going to do and the decisions that we're going to make. So I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He knows, but he does not force us to. And perhaps a good example to consider this is a different prophet, Jonah. Right? Does God know um, that Jonah, when he calls him, is going to run away? Yeah, he even sent a fish, right? Did God make Jonah run away? I'd say no, right? Um, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall into sin before he made them. Did God make them fall into sin? No. Maybe that one's even clearer. Why do we know that God didn't do that? What would that tell us about God? That he created people for evil. What kind of a person creates things for evil? Not a good person. Not a good person, right? Um, and God is not the author of evil. God has not forced evil upon any of us. God has not forced sin upon any of us. God knew that we would sin. God knew our own personal sin. Which is also then why God does what? Sends a Savior to rescue us from that sin. So the foreknowledge of God, the um, omniscience, omniscience, you guys know the word omniscience? Uh, All-knowing. The all-knowingness, knowingness, that's the right way to say it? of God is not him forcing people to do things. We have to keep that distinction very clear to not let God become the author of evil. I don't know if that answers your question, Leonard, or not. Yes, about Jonah and then bringing back the... Yeah. So many uh, are several of my friends back in the West tried to make this like God knew what he planned it. He planned all along when he created you that you were going to be a pastor. Right. And then he created somebody, you know, and then someone would always ask, so if everything's scripted for us, then what do I have to do? <laughs> well, there's the question, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we have to keep that distinction. We have to understand that, too. God is always working in the world through all of our sinful actions and desires 
for one purpose and one reason alone. And that is to continually bring us, to draw us to Jesus Christ. Um, what I mean is this. Um, someone who gets in a horrible car accident. Maybe let's just use that as an example. Someone gets into a horrible car accident. Is that good or bad? Bad. Uh, and they're injured for the rest of their life dealing with the after effects of this. That's bad. Can God work in that person's life through that car accident to grow their faith in Jesus Christ? Right? Hopefully, the pastor came and visited them when they were in the hospital. Hopefully, hearing God's word in that injured state allowed them to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Does that mean that God caused this horrible car accident to make them Christian? Again, we can't say that because God is not the author of evil. He's not evil. He's good. Where it gets really tricky, <laughs> we're not to the tricky part yet. Should I go into the tricky part? <laughs> Take the book of Daniel, for example, where the end of Daniel, God is seeing and describing to Daniel, in his foreknowledge, all of these armies going back and forth and conquering different places, okay? The Holy Land's kind of this weird crossroads between Africa and Europe and Asia, and all these armies going back and forth across there. So he's foreseeing the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, okay? And all of that is done and foretold by God, and it brings about what? In those days, Caesar Augustus put forth a decree that all the people of the world should be counted. And everyone returned to their hometown. And when they were in the town of Bethlehem, what happened? Christ was born. Now, how many people did the Romans kill when they conquered the Roman Empire? <laughs> how many people did Alexander the Great kill when he conquered the Greek Empire? How many people did the Persians kill? Okay. How about this? How many people did the Israelites kill when they conquered the Holy Land? And who told them to do that? Now, is God being evil then? No. Why not? What's that? Yeah, so but that that's that's where we get dangerous. It's his plan that all these people should die. <laughs> it's his plan that the Israelites will that is their land that is for them. For what purpose? To bring about Jesus. Yep. So he's gonna kill a lot of people to bring about Jesus? Why, why are all those people dying? Yeah, yeah, sin. No one is without fault. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All people deserve to die. And God knows that, and God is working in that to bring about salvation. It's the just consequence for sin. This is the same question in a different angle as um, the people who have never heard about Jesus and die. That doesn't seem fair. Have you heard that? Okay. Doesn't seem fair. But why are they dying? Because of sin. And whose fault is sin? It's our own fault. And 
God's trying to undo it and save us. And so we always have to assign the blame the right place and understand that God, in his very nature, is good and that he works for good. Um, we haven't gotten there in Romans 8 on Sunday, right? All things work together. Or no, no, I'm quoting it wrong. Um, Romans 8 talks about it, how God's always working in the world to accomplish what he wants, even if I'm misquoting the verse off the top of my head. It's our sin that's messed things up. And in spite of that, God is working and moving to bring about salvation. I don't know if I made it worse or better, Leonard. Okay, perfect. Vicar, did you have any other thoughts? Did that come up in Habakkuk? Last night? Um, yeah, it did. We kind of, yeah, we had great discussions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I had anything else to add that would not okay. totally do our conversation. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, whenever you have a question like that, feel free to, to ask because I always like going down rabbit holes. They're fun. Uh, keeps you on your toes. We're going to pick up with the book of Acts, session 22. We're still working on that. We're talking about St. Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, he's with Barnabas. And we're working our way through the book of Acts. And we're just going to quick review here. How is it that people become Christian? What is it that makes people Christian? An altar call. Well, faith, yes. Okay, faith. Don't listen to the vicar. He's about to fail vicarage. <laughs> we need another year of work. The word of God. The word of God. God is working faith. He's creating faith within people through the hearing of word, God's word. And we've seen it so far primarily how in the book of Acts? Sermons. Sermons. Okay? And not just then the word in sermons, but also the word attached to water. What do we call that? Baptism. And the word attached to bread and wine. What do we call that? The Lord's Supper. In those things, God is using his word to create faith in people to make them Christian. And that's the very thing that Paul and Barnabas are going around and doing. And uh, it's the same way it works today. The reason that you are a Christian is because you have heard God's word. And by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's work, you believe that word. Okay? It's not because you have such a handsome, young, uh, svelte pastor. Right? Okay? It's not because... The vicar has such a long, glorious beard. It's not because our pews are more comfortable than the pews at the church across the street. God's word is what makes people Christian. Now, you're free to have a handsome pastor like me. You're free to have a vicar with a long, glorious beard. You're free to have comfortable pews. But it's the word and the word only God's work in that word that makes people Christian. Okay, so we had been, uh, we just read, I think, 48 through 52 of chapter 13. And um, we saw the end of Paul and Barnabas' work um, as they were in Pisidian Antioch. And now... They are headed from Pisidian Antioch to a different town called Iconium. Iconium, okay? So, let's read 14 verses 1 through 7, Acts 14 verses 1 through 7, and we'll pick up there. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord 
who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Sicilian cities of Lystra and all right so you remember how things ended at Pisidian Antioch Paul and Barnabas show up they go to the synagogue they preach a sermon the first week and everybody says what yeah they love it because what was the sermon about what should all sermons be about about Jesus. And what thing about Jesus? Jesus is such a great moral teacher. You could be moral too. He died for your sins. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead. They preached that sermon and people said, we want to hear more about this. And the next week they went and did it again. But in that time frame, what did the people who didn't like it do? Yeah, they stirred up a, a riot, a, a storm against them, okay? Um, and they started to undermine that word. So much so that a lot of the Jewish people rejected what Paul and Barnabas said. And the Gentiles were the ones who were uh, coming to the Christian faith. And so now they go to this other town, Iconium, and what's the first thing that they do there? They go to the synagogue and preach, right? Because that's their pastors, that's their job. Now, the word again is the way that people are becoming Christian, and the word is what they keep on going to to convert people. Now, before we get into that any further, I want you to look at the map in the upper right-hand corner of the page. This map has on it um, the provinces of the Roman Empire as they existed at that time. Okay, so you see Syria off to the right. That's where Antioch and Seleucia are. You see Cyprus, which is its own because it's an island. But then you see up in the upper left, you see Asia, and you see Pamphylia, and you see Cilicia. And you'll notice Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby are all in what province? Galatia. Galatia. Why is that familiar to you? There's a book called the Book to the Galatians. What is the Book of Galatians about? Okay. Yeah. What's that? It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. What thing do you hear in the background of Galatians the entire time you read it? Here, let's let's quick look there. Okay. <laughs> Galatians 1. Let's look at Galatians 1. And we have let's read verse 6. Somebody would read first 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay, what's the issue? You mean he goes right into it right away. They're listening to the false teachers. Yeah, they are listening to false teachers and abandoning... The word that Paul left them. Yeah, the gospel, the word of Paul, which we just talked about is Jesus crucified for your sins and raised from the dead. And they have abandoned it. And the issue that they've abandoned it about, and this is why you can hear this in the background the entire time you read the book of Galatians, is circumcision. So you hear scissors, right? Maybe not, I don't know. Maybe they don't use scissors. We should ask um, Dr. Edwards. Uh, he, he, he's a baby doctor. I think he did circumcisions when he was a doctor. It's about circumcision. Because in Galatia, there are Christians 
who come from the Jewish side of things, and they say this, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. Unless you're circumcised. Who do you think they're saying this to? Who at Antioch Pisidia was the one that believed the most? The Gentiles. And are the Gentiles circumcised? No. No. Okay, so you have these Jewish Christians who are saying to them, you're not a real Christian because because you need scissors or whatever. Okay, um, That's the issue that's going on here. And already here you can start to see the roots of this particular issue coming up because we have the conflict taking place between the Gentiles and the Jews, both of whom some are believing and some are not. Okay? And Paul's famous words to the Galatians, you Galatian morons, right? Except we always translate it much nicer. We say, you foolish Galatians, okay? But the word in Greek is moron, okay? So um, when we call the vicar moron, it's biblical. <laughs> in good Christian love, yeah. So, the issue that are going to happen later for these people is they're going to be in a fight about the Jewish law and whether you have to fulfill it completely or not. And what's the answer for us as Christians? No, why not? Because Christ fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the law for you. That's why when you joined this congregation, we did not have to take you to a back room and check and see, guys, if you were circumcised. Because it does not matter to your salvation. Can you be? Yes. Can you be uncircumcised? Yes. What's the thing that matters for your salvation? Faith. And how does that come to you? And that's what Galatians is about. You were saying it's about the gospel. The gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Now, still here in Iconium, the place that they go is what? The synagogue. And the first thing they do at the synagogue is speak. It's through speaking the word of God that people become Christians. It's through sermons that people become Christian. And I want to clarify, too, just to make sure you know this. Um, we're using the word sermon here very broadly. Um, when my wife tells my kids that you're forgiven for something, is that a sermon in a way? Yeah, right? When you forgive your spouse for something they did wrong, is that a sermon in a way? Yeah. When you say to your friend down the street, um, you should come see my church sometime, is that a sermon? Yeah. You need to come see my church because we talk a lot about Jesus. That's a sermon. Okay? Now, publicly in the service, you guys hire and call and ordain pastors to preach the sermons. But these sermons can take place all over the place all the time. Okay, Come and see about Jesus. That's the kind of thing that brings people into the church. Nothing more, nothing less. All right. Um, 14.1. We already kind of have answered this. What is it that makes a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe? Preaching the word of God. And so Paul and Barnabas preaching God's word makes people believe. It says it exactly that way. Spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. That's what did it. Now, so the same time. Oh. Is it such a way? Does that point to anything in particular? In such a, yeah, that's a great question, right? What's the way they spoke then? 
Greek? Regomenos in Hellenikos, but most of you won't follow it then, right? Uh, we can speak. But these were Greeks. These were Greeks. They were Greek speakers at least, but where are they beginning? Where did they go to start this preaching? In the synagogue. And when they're reading the scripture lessons there, are they reading them in Greek? Possibly, yeah, possibly. Possibly also in Hebrew, right? Okay. Is it just the language that's the issue? If we start giving all of our sermons in Greek, will that make all of you stronger Christians? Okay. So I don't think that's what they mean. They spoke in such a way. Um, we've seen this already, too. It's not that they were very winsome, right? Is that the right word, winsome? Okay. It's not that they spoke really loudly or that they spoke softly. It's not that they tried to speak in like a British accent or something. When they say, spoke in such a way, from the rest of the book of Acts, what does this mean? Yeah. We've been talking about with every sermon what they're doing. They're using the scriptures as the foundation for their sermon. And when I say the scriptures there, at this point, we mean the Old Testament. And what's the focus of their sermon? They're speaking. Jesus died for sins, rose from the dead. And they're talking law and gospel. Why does it matter that Jesus died to forgive sins for you? Or for you? Why? Because of sin. How do you know? Because of the law. Because of the law. Right? It says, you shall not do this. God's law says that. You say, oh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> trying to think of a good example. I drove here yesterday morning and um, the light turned green and the car in front of me just sat there. And it sat there. And it sat there. What do you think I was doing? Put down your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> the light's green. Let's go. Come on. Pay attention. What's that? What's God's word say about that? Jesus says, if you so much as say raka to your brother, you have murdered them in your heart. And I know that because of the law. And then I get the gospel that says, oh yeah, Jesus died to forgive sins. And that matters then for me. So I would submit to you that when it says they spoke in such a way, Luke uses that phrase to tell you they spoke the same way they've been speaking all these other sermons. Law, gospel, from the scriptures about Jesus. Would honking the horn have been the same thing? <laughs> It depends on how you honk it, right? <laughs> if it's that's probably not the right way. If it's a little tap, maybe, yeah. Liturgical honking. Liturgical honking, yeah. Okay. Law, gospel, based on the scriptures about Jesus. They spoke in that way. The same way they just did at uh, Pisidian Antioch. Is that? Uh, do you have? Do the, uh, there, there is a translation of the scriptures into Greek at this point. Yes, the Septuagint is probably 250 years old at that point. So it's a well established. It is. Um, there's a little bit of a beginnings of a backlash against it as the Christian church arises because the Christians all quote it heavily because 
that's who they're going out to preach to, too. They're not just staying in Israel. They're going out to the Gentiles. So they quote the Septuagint a lot. There are a few issues in the Septuagint with its translations. A few things that are a little bit different, which is always the case in translations. There's a lot of things that are really, really good in the Septuagint, too. Um, I got a copy, you know Greek, right? Yeah. I've got a copy on my desk if you want to take a look at it. There's an app for the Septuagint as well that's free. It's really great. Um, I like the Septuagint. I think there's a lot of good things. There's a few issues. The Septuagint is in 200 BC-ish. Um, the Greeks were in charge of the Holy Land. And the language of Greek was being used for commerce. And the Jews were discovering that a lot of their Jewish people couldn't speak Hebrew anymore. So they got together a group of people to translate the scriptures from Hebrew into Greek. And that's the Septuagint. Sorry. We're speaking Greek here to you and then you're not following. <laughs> Okay, so they're preaching and speaking the gospel, and some people believe. 14.2 also tells us what? That they're unbelieving Jews. Yeah. They're unbelievers as well. People who hear the word and do not believe it. Okay? And people who hear the word and do not believe it, what's their response to the gospel? Yeah. They want to stop it. They want to get rid of it. They don't want other people to believe it. In fact, I think we can say, it doesn't say it exactly this way in this particular instance, but they hate it, right? They offended by it. They're offended by it. And the way we know that is because what do they decide to do? They stir up the Gentiles and poison their minds against the brothers. Okay? Um, there's a, Yes. There's a lot of that going on right now. Have you had anybody say to you, or um, to someone you know, I suppose we could say, you're a Christian? You believe all that stupid stuff? You go to church on Sunday morning? Why don't you just sleep in? Or similar things? Anybody Not heard stuff like that? Not recently, but in the past? Yeah. Or even family members sometimes, right, say those things. Um, I have uh, family members who are anti-Christian. Okay? Um, that's just the reality of preaching the gospel. Not everyone is going to hear and believe. And not everyone is going to hear and believe the first time that they hear. Did that stop Paul and Barnabas? Did they say, oh, Leonard, you don't like, I'll, I won't say it anymore. <laughs> no, didn't stop. no, what did they keep on doing? Yeah, they kept on preaching anyways. Are there people who do not like what we say in our sermons here? Have we decided to stop saying them then? Let's cancel church on Sunday because people don't like what I'm going to preach. We keep on preaching all the same. The way that it's worded here too is they poison their minds against the brothers. The way that this is worded almost makes it sound like it's an ad hominem attack too. And a lot of times... Ad hominem attacks are the way people go after Christians. Ad hominem is a logical fallacy. It means to the man. So 
If the vicar says something that I don't like, an ad hominem attack would be like this. Well, you wouldn't know anyways because you're a big stinky head. <laughs> okay? Now, let's say the argument was about, like, um, he doesn't like blue cheese. And so he says, Pastor, I don't like blue cheese. And I say, well, you're an idiot, you big stinky head. That's an ad hominem attack. Because him being a big stupid head has nothing to do with blue cheese. Right? That's completely independent of whether he likes blue cheese or not, that he's a big stinky head. No, just <laughs> Well, it's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, an ad hominem attack is just saying something about someone that's completely unrelated to the actual argument. And the way that this is worded, it almost makes it sound like that's what they're doing. They're poisoning the mind of the people in this town against the brothers without actually addressing the content of the message. So what that might have looked like would be, why would you listen to this Paul guy? No, he used to do all these terrible things, and he used to persecute Christians and do all this stuff and everything, and that would actually all be true. Uh, and they would have, you know, a good point in that, yes, he did do all those things, but the point is that that doesn't negate anything that he's saying just because he did those things. He's still preaching the true gospel. He's still saying things that are true. So... The opposite of an ad hominem would be actually engaging with his material. So what the Jews should have done was been like, oh, well, how, how do we know that this Jesus really is God? And at that point, then the, the apostles could run through how all the prophecies are fulfilled in the coming of the Christ. But that's not what happened. Yeah, and I think there's a reason that they're switching to ad hominem tactics, right? The same reason that our politicians do. Okay, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Politicians are the worst ad hominem attackers. Okay, no logic in anything that any of them say. <laughs> That's my opinion. That's not in the scriptures. I should clarify that. Yeah. Okay. They have tried to engage the Christians prior to this, and to talk specifically about the arguments that they've made. Remember Stephen. They engaged about Jesus being killed and rising from the dead with Stephen. And what did the scriptures say about that? Do you remember? Yeah. It said, I'm going to make sure I quote it exactly. Okay, increase... They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And these, they set before the apostles, they prayed their hands. They were unable, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. That's Acts 6.10. When Stephen is speaking God's word about Jesus dying from, for sins and rising from the dead, they couldn't argue with him. And so that's when they did what to Stephen? Yeah, we'll lie about him and we'll get him killed. Okay? Yeah, I saw a hand somewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say before you mention that, that in my Bible, it said that they, when they were preaching, they were speaking boldly for the Lord. Well, just if you speak boldly, you might upset people, even if it's the truth. Again, so it sounds like the same thing happened with Stephen. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and the Christians, Paul, Barnabas, and Stephen before him, were preaching the truth about Jesus. They tried to engage, it didn't work, so they got Stephen killed. And they're not even trying to engage now with Paul. They're just going straight to the ad hominem attacks. And it is the same thing that happens today. If we preach boldly, God's word. Let's just take an issue that's been in the news here in Lincoln. Okay? Just even this past Monday, the city council voted on this topic. Okay? What does the scripture say about same sex uh, attraction and marriage and relationships? 
sin. It's sin. And we say that, and what do people do? Oh, you should tolerate that. <laughs> yeah. You guys are hateful. And I always say, no, I'm fine telling Vicar he should stop his sexual sin too, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. And I can say that to any of us, not to just pick on the Vicar, but yes, to pick on the Vicar. Right? Sin is sin is sin is sin. But today it's not popular to speak against it. And the ad hominem attack that comes out now is that you're hateful. Did you read the articles this last Tuesday about what the city council did on Monday? They rescinded the fairness ordinance that the fairness ordinance was going to say Pastor Poppy and I would be fined $5,000 for saying homosexuality is a sin, even from the pulpit. That was the first offense. I think the second offense was more, and the third offense meant we would go to jail. Okay, so they rescinded it because uh, 18,000 Lincoln citizens signed a petition to put it on the ballot. And so, did you see what they said? This place is so hateful. That's why we had to rescind it, because it's just going to give a voice to hate. Hate from those people who aren't for what we want. That's ad hominem attacks. Sorry, that's a, another rabbit hole. Okay. Well, the thing they like to say is <clears throat> what you're saying makes me feel unsafe. I'm not safe. The situation you're creating. Yeah. And so you're. What's the Christian answer to that? You're right. It's not safe because forever. You could be in hell if you reject God's word. And it's not just about the sixth commandment. We could say it about any one of them. Okay? So one... All right. I'm going to hide behind the podium here in case anybody throws things. One that we Christians are not always very good at within our own groups is the eighth commandment. Right? We talk about each other a lot. Did you see that Leonard wore an Iowa shirt? <laughs> right? Yeah, poor Leonard. Every, never do that. Never. <laughs> and we gossip about it to the point where he shows up wearing a red shirt instead. Right? That's an Iowa state shirt. That's an Iowa state shirt. Is it? Oh. Oh, well, that's... We, we gossip about each other. All the time, uh, there's people pumping the pastors for information, right? Oh, why did so-and-so say this? Or what's going on with that? Right? Is that just as dangerous a sin? Yes. Yeah, because that can also kill our Christian faith. If we love the sin more than we love the one who saves us from the sin. And so all of us, all the time, what's the first, most important job of a Christian? Okay. And I'd say, just to even include that in something even a little bigger, is to repent. And remember, repentance has two parts. That we acknowledge the things that we do are sinful, and that we believe that Jesus has died for them. Okay. The, uh, the Holy Spirit is involved in preaching the Word, and that is a grossly unfair thing for an unbeliever, because it, the Holy Spirit convicts us all concerning sin and righteousness. And <coughs> does, mm -hmm. and that makes us feel and, yeah, that's that unsafeness. That either makes us rejoice or go uh, nuts. And that's where we have to have both the law and the gospel. That's why you need to make sure the church you go to, if you ever move or if, 
uh, you, you call a new pastor, the most important thing is preaching God's word and its truth and purity. They're preaching what the scriptures say, what we do that's not up to God's standards, and what Christ has done to fix it, law and gospel, about Jesus. That Jesus predominates, that everything we're saying is about Jesus. That's the most important thing, because that covers all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. I don't know. Questions or thoughts? I'll get off my soapbox here. <laughs> okay. We're not going to make it very far today, apparently. Okay. Um, letter D, 5D. What's the response for us as Christians and for Paul and Barnabas when people were stirred up against Christianity? What do Paul and Barnabas do when these people are stirred up against them? So verse 3, 14.3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. So people are stirred up against them, so they made their sermons even longer. <laughs> Just the way you like them, right? <laughs> well, I one thinks you're doing a great job, and we all love you. That's a, <laughs> that's a nice try, Vicar. <laughs> I'm making a little joke there, but they, they what they did is they preached God's word all the more. All the more. And that, again, tells us what do they believe makes Christians. God's word. That's why everything that we do in church should always be about God's word. Because it's not Pastor Moline himself that makes people Christian. I've been here long enough, you know that, right? It's not Pastor Poppy that makes people Christian. It's not um, the, the lights being dimmed during the sermon or a smoke machine. It's not that um, the pastors wear chasubles and dalmatics and hold. There's a big debate among some Lutherans like, do you put your thumbs like this or like this? What's the right way? Does that matter? No. No, what matters? God's word. And so when they were being persecuted, they turned to God's word. So you brought up, Ken, that it's happening today, right? What's our solution? When we face persecution today as Christians, what should we do? Witness all the more. Yeah, witness all the more. Okay. Pray for The answer is church. The answer is not, I'm going to go back to my earlier statement, the answer is not politicians. The answer isn't um, all the Christians should move to Wyoming and build a big wall around it, and we can just stay there and everybody else can do their heathen things. The, what's that? <laughs> we'll kick them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, see that no, I wasn't going that direction. That's, the answer is the Word of God in its truth and purity. The answer isn't attacking people that you disagree with, right? This was in the news this week too, where there is a group of people that were going to go out and attack people that thought differently than them. The answer is God's Word, more and more preaching, speaking boldly. Okay, now in this verse, verse 3, who does Luke believe is doing the actual work of creating faith? Yeah, and the word he uses there is the Lord, right? So he says, Paul and Barnabas, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Who? Who's that who refer to? The Holy Spirit. The Lord. The Lord. So they spoke for the Lord. We have a comma if you're in ESV. And then it says, The Lord bore witness to the word of 
His grace. Whose grace? Yeah, again, the Lord. The Lord bore witness to the Lord's grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Who's the one doing the signs and the wonders? The Lord. Okay? The Lord is the one doing the work. So Sunday, last Sunday, we baptized three kids. Who did it? The Lord. He gave a sign and a wonder by whose hands? Yeah. By the pastor. I poured the water. I spoke the word. The Lord baptized. You see how that's the way Paul, or Paul, Luke, you see how that's the way Luke is talking? That's the way the church, the early Christians saw things. We need to keep that in mind all the time. All the time. The Lord is the one who's doing the work of the church. Okay? All right. We're on the back now. I already kind of answered this. The top of the page in the back. Who is it that grows the church? The Lord. Um, it's not Pastor Poppy. It's not Pastor Moline. It's definitely not the vicar. <laughs> and it happens how? Through the word. Through the sacraments. The means of grace. That's what happens. All right. And then verse 4. What happens to the city's population when the word is preached? It's divided. It's divided. Okay? What's the division line? Iowa fans and Nebraska fans? Black, white, Asian, Brown hair, red hair, tall, short, fat, skinny. What's the division? It's faith and unfaith. That's the thing that divides the population of the city of Iconium. Okay? Faith and unfaith. Let's just say it about Lincoln. What's the thing that divides the city of Lincoln more than anything else? I don't think Lincoln's that divided politically. I think there's a majority of people who think one way, whether it's the way you think or not. Okay? And in the end, when they're all in a hundred years, what difference is that part going to make, that division? What division really matters in the city of Lincoln? Believers and unbelievers. Okay? All right. And this is the same thing uh, Jesus had kind of warned us. Let's read Matthew 10. Matthew 10. We've got two spots there. Oops, too far. Matthew 10. We're going to read verse 21 through 25, and then verse 34 through 39. Because Jesus said this exact thing was going to happen. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise in parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The cross persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Okay. Let's, let's go two more verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebul, how much more will they line those of his household? What Jesus says is going to happen when the gospel is preached, that there will be 
division. Not just in town, but also in families, right? Uh, brother will turn over brother. Children will have their parents killed. All because there's that division. And he says, you shouldn't be surprised because a disciple, like us, is not above his teacher. A servant is not above his master. If they persecute the master, what will they do to the servant? Same thing. Same thing. And what did they do to our master Jesus? Killed him. So what should we expect? Praise God that we haven't really had to deal with that. Right? The United States has been a pretty good place to be a Christian. Will it always be that way? I don't know. Should we be ready for the persecution? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. You know, peace man, love, harmony, end war. Isn't that what Christianity is about? What's Jesus say at 34 through 39 of Matthew 10? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, builds on that idea that we were saying before. There's going to be division. There's going to be conflict, even within families. Now, I want to make something clear here, okay? Does that mean that it's a Christian thing to do this, to say, well, you're obviously not a believer and you're going to hell, so up yours in Christian love. Who's the one doing the conflict? The people who are the unbelievers, right? The ones who do believe, how do they treat people? Love and kindness. If, if I'm, yeah, love and kindness. If I'm a believer and the vicar's a heathen, am I like, ha, you're a heathen, you're going to hell. Or do I interact with him and engage with him and... Give him the word that converts. Do I kick him out of my house? Why are you in my house in the first place? You invited me. Okay. <laughs> I, I treat him as Christians treat one another. And where do Christians learn how to treat people? Yeah, from the word. From the word made flesh from Jesus. Okay? And so I want to make sure we're clear. This is this is back to that whole fairness ordinance. Okay? Or these people that were just arrested that were going to go attack the pride parade. Is it Christian to attack a pride parade? No. No. What would be the Christian response? The word, the word, the word. And if if I go punch Leonard, who will never sit in the front again, <laughs> if I go punch Leonard, is he going to listen to any word that I have to say to him? No. If there's persecution, it's coming the other direction. It has to. Did you have something? No? Okay. All right. So exactly what Jesus foretold is what is happening here. All right. So... We keep on preaching. When there is division in families, we keep on. How do we act? If Claire decides to quit going to church, and I'm her father, what do I do? Okay, what's that involve? Okay, what else? Encourage her, right? 
I'm her, I'm her dad too, so I can say, while she's living in my house, part of being in this family is coming to church. When she turns 18 and moves out on her own, that's when I do the, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday, Claire. You want to come? I, I know, Claire, you're just the one I can see here, okay? We, we keep on inviting. The solution is more of the word. The solution is more of the word. And I know that it gets to be hard, right? I know that kids say, stop talking to me about this. But the solution is the word. And we can't just seed, C-E-D-E, seed. Did I spell that right? Okay. That's what I thought, and then I started saying it, and it didn't sound right. We don't just seed someone's soul to Satan. We keep on inviting. John 1, 43 through 46. Let's look at that. Okay, because this is what Christians do. This is evangelism. It's this simple, really. That's all we have to do. John 1, 43 through 46. One more. That's all we, that's all it is. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He died and rose from the dead. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. This is totally opposite to what we teach in the church today, right? <laughs> they have, if you go to Barnes & Noble, Elizabeth and I went, um, last, last Saturday, we went out for our anniversary and we went out to eat and then we went to Barnes & Noble and looked around at the books there and they have a whole section of Christian books there about evangelism. Thousands and thousands of pages that we can summarize in three words. Come and see. <laughs> okay? It may feel awkward at times, but if that's all we have to say, that's not that bad. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Come and see. And in a sense, while they're probably saying a little more than that, that's really all Paul and Barnabas are saying as well. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Come and see. Okay, let's see if we can finish up section 5 here with letter F. So let's read, uh, we're at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 14. It says, what are the unbelievers set to do? What are they going to do? Stone. Yes, to stone them. And it's not stone like uh, 1969 in California. It's throwing rocks, Okay. They're set to stone them. How do Paul and Barnabas uh, respond to this knowledge that people are going to stone them? Yes, but what else? They go to a different town. They go to a different town. And we'll learn about that town a little bit next week. And what's important about this is, again, do Christians seek martyrdom? No. If it finds us, that's fine. But we don't go out and seek it out. Okay? And Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. They headed to the next town. And it's also then we read Matthew 10. That's what Jesus said as well. If they aren't going to listen, go to the next town. Or last week we talked about it. If they're not going to listen, shake the 
dust off your feet and go someplace else. Okay? Now I know I said the opposite just a second ago about your kids. That's a little bit different. <laughs> okay? But you keep on with the word. You keep on with the word. Okay. I put it on here. Just we'll, we'll do the second one there. The word keeps on coming even to these people in Iconium that become Christian. You wrote the letter of Galatians, for example. Can the world stop us from preaching? No. no. Can COVID-19 stop us from preaching? Try. Try. Did it work? No. How about now you see in the news monkeypox, right? Is monkeypox going to stop us from preaching? No. no. We're Christians. We talk about Jesus. That's what we do. All right. We're a little bit over time. Any questions? All right. Let's uh, close the Lord's Prayer, and then uh, we'll meet again next week. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.